0: Hi, welcome to episode 45 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will be talking about the latest signs of distress in global markets related to the rising U.S. dollar, rising oil prices, and uncertainty over central bank responses to these issues. The title for today's episode is, What Breaks Next? Hi,
1: I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges presented by BMO Capital Markets.
0: Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Steven's co-host.
1: In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities.
0: We strive to make this show as interactive as possible So don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us.
2: The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries.
1: Okay, it's the 14th of June, 2022. Thanks for tuning in to episode 45, Global Exchanges. Uh, And as we get the show on the road, I'd like to start with a quick glance at the map, so to speak. Uh, The end of Q2 is fast approaching and we've got a near 7% gain in the broad dollar since the end of March. The the S&P 500, that is, which is a good enough proxy for global risk appetite, that's down about 17%. And the U.S. two-year yield is higher by just over 100 basis points. And moving back to FX, uh, Greg, you made this shout earlier. It's a great one. The Fed's broad nominal dollar index is just 2% off its high for the 21st century. That's a pretty stunning fact. Uh, So I'm going to throw it over to you with a question before we move through the weeds of the broader FX market. We've seen dollar rallies before. We've seen sell-offs and risk assets before. But there's something about this environment that just looks and feels instinctively different. What are your thoughts about the rally in the dollar in this environment, given that context that I just mentioned?
0: So, Stephen, I'm, I'm a pretty old guy for this industry. I was in the industry and do remember the dollar rally of the late 1990s. And, and that uh, Asian crisis period from 1997 to 1998, and then, uh, you know, call it the euro crash upon launch period of, of 1999 to 2000, that was the first analog to this year's FX market that I began reaching for in my memory a few months ago. But uh, you know what? It may turn out that the better analog is actually the dollar rally of the early 1980s. And yeah, I was alive then, but uh, I don't have a market participant's memory. And there aren't very many central bank heads and finance ministries out there who have that memory either. Uh, I guess maybe Corotta, Um, he was a technocrat in the MOF at that time, but uh, people like uh, Powell or Lagarde, uh, they weren't in financial markets then. The good news, I I suppose, is that Lagarde and Powell are excellent students of history. But of of course, learning about a market context from a historical perspective is a lot different from living through it and feeling it in real time. So anyway, yeah, I I would say that this market feels now unlike anything experienced uh, at least in the 21st century, for sure. So Stephen, you you mentioned the uh, 7% dollar rally in Q2, but you didn't go through the spectrum of currencies. Do you want to do that real quick? What has outperformed and what has underperformed that 7% dollar rally?
1: Okay. So taking a look at the G10 space, what stands out to me, immediately, is that other than the Noki and the Kiwi, we don't see all of the commodity block currencies within the space piled up in the bottom. Uh, Noki is down close to 12% for the quarter. It's the worst performing currency in G10, but it's an extremely high beta currency and sometimes an illiquid one. Uh, And the country's exposure to global debt and equity markets via the Sovereign Wealth Fund magnifies the current sensitivity to risk. Uh, So minus 12% is not necessarily a clean reading on. on the NOx fundamentals. But contrasting to the NOKI and the Kiwi, the Canadian dollar is just 3% lower quarter to date. Aussie is 8% lower. Uh, that's a sizable move, but it's outperformed sterling in the yen. So we're not seeing a simple growth on, growth off trade in G10 commodity currencies like we used to. And now let's look at the yen. That's down nearly 10% during the quarter. And that one stands out definitely uh, because i think we're so used to seeing the yen rally during periods of severe risk off it's not doing that right now and then when we move to em and generally Energy exporting currencies in the EM space or currencies with relatively small energy trade deficits in EM have done reasonably well. The ruble is up 40%, but we know capital controls and invoicing and rubles have played key roles there. Indonesia is down just 2.2%. Malaysia is down about 5 to 6%. Uh, but even when we go to the bottom of the list of returns, Turkey is down 15%, and just above Turkey is the Huff. Uh, with a spot return of minus 13%. So my point is that these are stress-like moves in EM currencies, but they're not screaming that something has severely broken yet. So we've got to get to the point, like, what's going to break, or what is breaking?
0: I agree that for the major EMs, nothing is broken yet. There have been a couple of small countries with bigger crises for them, though, in in Q2, which I think we should at least mention. Uh, So Sri Lanka... Uh, was running a quasi peg at around 200 rupee per dollar, that it dropped in mid March. We're now looking at an exchange rate of about 360. So uh, LKR uh, has dropped what let's call it 45 percent of its value over the past three months, with about half that damage coming in late Q1 and the other half in Q2. And yes, uh, the financial crisis of the devaluation led to a social and political crisis in the country, as might be expected with the real wealth decline that we're talking about. And uh, actually, there's one country's currency that has fallen even more, and that's El Salvador's. So Salvador officially dollarized in 2001, but uh, over the past year, under a government that's not officially recognized by the U.S. due to claims of election fraud, uh, the country has also adopted Bitcoin as legal tender. Uh, And with much fanfare, the central bank announced it was converting a substantial portion of its reserves into Bitcoin. Since then, uh, the value of Bitcoin has roughly been cut in half. Talk about bad timing. But anyway, if if we want to call Bitcoin El Salvador's national currency, and yeah, I know I'm being cheeky with that, um, but but it is where President Bukele was was going with things just a few months ago, then El Salvador's currency has lost half of its value. The, um, the Sri Lanka and cryptocurrency stories are, are the kinds of things that propagated in the late 1990s. And I would say were, frankly, endemic in the early 1980s. So uh, I'll just conclude by saying that... Uh, Crypto slash El Salvador has pretty much broken this quarter. Sri Lanka definitively d- did break, and then everything else is showing stress, but but hasn't broken yet. Stephen, you you brought up a a good one with the yen, but I feel like we've talked and written a lot about that uh, already. So I want to turn to sterling. the uh, The British pound is down about nine percent against the dollar for the quarter. So uh, you know underperformance. Uh, with that 7% dollar move. Sterling's also down about 3% against the euro for the quarter. So what's going on? Is the pound about to break with echoes of uh, 1992 or the early 1980s?
1: Rick, you know what? Those aren't bad analogies based on what could potentially be coming for sterling. And yeah, perhaps we could uh, put the pound into the list of currencies that are breaking. And I've got a few noteworthy observations from sterling-related markets today. So based on my observations, it looks like the rates market has pulled uh, rate hike expectations lower along the 2023 portion of the yield curve. Yesterday, by my calculations, the OAS curve was pricing in roughly 249 basis points of additional BOE tightening by May next year relative to the current uh, 1% level of bank rate. And today, that market pricing has dropped a little bit to about 245 basis points worth of tightening. The two-year gilt yield, that fell by one basis point today. Uh, And I think the main thing to point out here is that while two-year sovereign yields uh, have risen sharply in other parts of the developed world today, The UK two-year sovereign yield is down. So there's definitely a growth story here, a negative one, that's being reflected in the FX market and in shorter-term rates. But why are longer-term UK nominal yields still rising then, as of today anyway? It's not my remit to focus on the bond market, and I don't have an answer to that question. But from my perspective, it looks like investors are doubting the BOE's ability to keep up with the tightening campaigns of other major central banks. And... The pound is starting to be singled out for it by the FX market, Uh, while at the same time, the risks of persistently high inflation, fiscal risks, an upended global trade environment, balance of payments concerns, they're all being wrapped into one negative story for Sterling at the moment. Greg, you mentioned the echoes of the early 1980s and 1992. I think the one thing I'd point out is that the difference between the Sterling devaluations of the 1970s and the early 80s. And in 1992, is that the currency was being allowed to adjust lower or forced to adjust lower from verifiably rich valuations. Today, it's not as clear that the pound is as overvalued as it was during those earlier episodes. All I can say at this stage with the information I have is that there are near-term downside risks for sterling which haven't fully played out yet or materialized. Uh, And there there are reasons for the pound to stay cheap regardless of how long it takes those risks to materialize. And I think we'll get a better idea, a much better idea of how the pound is fundamentally being priced by the market as new data roll in, like data concerning the balance of payments. But I admit that could take many
0: months to determine. So Stephen, in today's FX Daily, you gave an outlook curve for uh, GBP USD that had a bottom at 118 at the three-month horizon. Is is that really where you'd put the bottom? What if the Fed were to hike to four percent over the next year, and the BoE were to stop at you know somewhere around 250 or something? Where would you put uh, sterling in that scenario?
1: You know what, Greg, I'm not fully confident that 118 will be the floor in cable, regardless of where the expectation for UK rates is uh, at this stage. The issue that the UK faces, like many other economies, is that while hiking rates to keep pace with the Fed, so to speak provide some support to the local currency, tighter policy can also do a lot of damage to the domestic economy, especially if the economy in question is particularly sensitive to higher interest rates. The other issue is timing. Greg, you said 12 months for the Fed to get to 4%, which is a pretty rapid uh, timeframe for going from 1% to 4%. Uh, and and if the Fed gets to 4% relatively quickly, while well, the UK curve stays priced for a terminal rate at, at say, 2.5%, I think the Fed is going to have a big negative impact on Sterling. Uh, But certainly the major floating European currencies, they're going to have a lot of difficulty in that environment too. For Sterling specifically, I would just argue this. If the BOE were to hike rates more than expected, yeah, it would cause shock and consternation in the FX market. But if it looked like the BOE was doing so, Uh, As growth continued to weaken notably, or if the BOE were attempting to cushion sterling uh, with interest rate hikes, which I don't believe they would do, by the way, then I don't think sterling strength stemming from sharper rate increases in that environment would last very long. Now, Greg, let me flip the script on you and ask where you think dollar yen would go if the Fed were to hike to 4% over the next year.
0: So ffm three which is the Fed Fund's future for June 2023, uh, or, you know, call it one year plus two weeks from now, it implies a Fed Fund's rate of 4.05%. I admit I'm suffering from sticker shock from that because it was just at an implied rate of 1%, um, you know, in, in December. So uh, anyway, here here we are at, uh, at 4% and change. In theory... If we believe that the FX market simultaneously prices in the same central bank outlook as the rates market, today's 135 in dollar yen does price in the Fed going to to 4%. Uh, However, in this instance, I doubt that the FX market has fully priced in that much Fed tightening. I, I think that if the Fed really does go to 4%, and let's say, you know, that the BOJ gets off the dime and maybe uses the opportunity to get its base rate from minus 10 bips to plus 10 bips. I still think we'd be looking at, at dollar yen uh, at 140 plus. I also want to keep uh, pointing out something else. And that's the relationship between dollar yen and oil. I, I remember saying uh, months ago that uh, if oil went to 120, um, that dollar yen would too. And then I upped the numbers um, so that, you know, if oil goes to 130, dollar yen would too. Here we are again, and I I guess I'll up the ante some more. If oil goes to 150, then I think dollar yen will also go to 150. And with as tight as oil markets are, I I think it's possible. Um, I think it's possible we could see both of those moves over the next three months. And then I guess at that point, I'd lump the yen into the basket of currencies that have broken, but, but I'm guessing there will be a bunch of others joining the yen in that basket. The bottom line for me, where we started this podcast talking about things breaking in financial markets, uh, and then we proceeded to spend a bunch of time talking about the Fed breaking things. I just want to say that uh, while I do think that Fed-induced U.S. dollar strength is is a really important stress contributor in financial markets right now. I frankly think that oil is just as important of a stress inducer. And an oil spike could, quote unquote, break a bunch of other currencies, quasi currencies, and related financial instruments. And that's something we've got to tightly monitor alongside the Fed right now.
1: Greg, let's draw a line under this. To sum up, I think we can conclude that we believe there will be other shoes to drop as the summer rolls on. Uh, And in terms of what could be breaking now, we might want to put sterling in that list and we might do the same with the yen. So we've got two G10 currencies at or near breaking point. That's a pretty big deal. Anything else you want to add, Greg?
0: Well, I wish there weren't many more things likely to break so that we could all take a few weeks off during the summer without worrying a lot about markets. That just doesn't look likely in 2022. It's going to be a hot summer in FX, I think.
1: Time to wrap up. Thanks for joining us if you stuck it out for this long. Until next time, bye for now.
0: Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges.
1: We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider.
0: This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative.
2: This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell, or to buy, or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter